the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, and chapter number 8. If you don't know where Zechariah is, don't worry, I don't either. Um, it's at the end of the Old Testament, just before the last book of the Bible, Zechariah and chapter number 8, Zechariah and chapter number 8. Give me a little bit more here on the pulpit, and I'm just going to stay with the pulpit mic. Zechariah in chapter number 8. And I want you to turn over to verse number 13. Verse number 13. And we'll use this one verse as our our text this morning. We'll go, go through some other portions of the chapter. But a beautiful thought here in Zechariah chapter 8 and verse number 13. Stand please for the reading of this one verse. And I ask you to join with me in unison as we read together Zechariah 9 and verse number 13. Together, please. And it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and ye shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Now, the Lord's talking to his people as a whole, and he says of them in verse number 13, he said, you were a curse. See that phrase? If you mark your Bible, you might want to mark that phrase. You were a curse. Must a bad place to be in your life where you're a curse. But he says at the latter part of the verse, ye shall be a blessing. Amen. You might want to mark that phrase. You shall be a blessing. And so I want to talk to you on the subject this morning, turning a curse into a blessing. Father, bless now as we preach your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. We have not as much time as we normally would for the morning message, but we're grateful for the time we had to remember you through the Lord's Supper. So make this time effective. May our hearts and minds be focused upon your word. And may the Holy Spirit uh, be the one working and moving through me and in the hearts of these who hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Ye were a curse. The first time a curse is mentioned in the Bible is all the way back in the book of Genesis in chapter 3. When God cursed the serpent. For his deception in the Garden of Eden. Thereafter, we find a curse is placed upon the ground. God is speaking to Adam. And he says uh, that, uh, that he cursed the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days. The next verse 18 mentions thorns and thistles. And verse 19 mentions the sweat of his brow. The toil that it takes to produce something out of the ground and the curse that came upon the earth was a direct result of of Adam's uh, sin. In Genesis 4, we have the third mention of a curse, and that is uh, 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 when it addresses Cain for slaying his brother Abel. Cain, unrepentant, brings a great curse upon himself, and he... he, uh, he lies and he says, I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? And he gets defensive. And the Lord says, now art thou cursed 
from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. God is saying, Cain, you've chosen a hard life. You've sinned grievously and you're unrepentant and you're choosing a hard life. The, cur- the, the, the curse upon the earth came because of Adam's sin. But the Bible says that Cain would receive a curse from the earth. You remember, it was his, it was his expertise bringing the fruit out of the ground. Cain was a farmer and he was good at it. And he brought that as a sacrifice to God, which was rejected, representing that God always rejects. Uh, God will not allow your good works, your efforts to bring atonement for sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can atone for sin. Amen. And so God said, the very thing that was your expertise, now you've spoiled that and the curse from the earth will follow you. And from that day forward, the Bible said, the, the, the earth would not uh, yield uh, unto thee her strength. You'll be a fugitive and a vagabond. And Cain, still unrepentant, says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. God, you're so harsh. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day. You don't want me here, God. From the face of the earth and from thy face shall I be hid and I shall be a fugitive and a, and a vagabond in the earth and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. Everybody's against me. Cain's still unrepentant. He brought the curse upon himself. Can I tell you something? All of us are cursed by our own sin and our own decisions and many of us or all of us to some degree uh, reap the consequences of a curse, the, the curse of sin of others. My sin doesn't just affect me, it affects others, right? That's a sad thing. We live in a broken world, don't we? But God can turn a curse into a blessing. We got a big God, don't we? I'll think about Joseph. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Kidnapped and sold into slavery. All of his human rights were stripped from him. For the next 13 years, he's imprisoned. He's uh, unjustly accused. He's, he's enslaved. He's unjustly accused. Followed by an imprisonment, an unjust imprisonment. He's forgotten there in that in that jail. And for 13 years, he continues to walk with God. He continues to enjoy the presence of God upon his life. But make no mistake about it. He still struggles with his past. In that, in that, uh, in that prison, God brings some men across his path. And his testimony to those men is what precipitated his being released and placed into a very powerful position of authority next to the king. God gives special insight to Joseph to be able to uh, tell him God is trying to communicate with him. And Joseph is able to help the king understand that there are going to be seven years of plenty the ground, the, 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 the corn is just going to leap out of the ground and food will be in abundance and, and there'll be seven years of such. But after those seven years will come seven years of famine, death and starvation. And Joseph said, King, if I were you, I'd have somebody put in charge of preparing for those seven 
certain years of devastation. He said, well, I don't know anybody wiser than you. You're in charge. God put this young man, now 17 years old, when he was sold into slavery. Now 13, uh, 13 years later, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, 13 years later now, he is put in charge. That makes him 30 years old. The seven years of plenty begin in Joseph's life. After a short time, he meets someone, a beautiful lady there from Egypt, and he marries, and they have their first son. And their first son, he names Manasseh. Manasseh means forgetting. Shortly thereafter, he has a second son, whose name is Ephraim. Ephraim means fruitful. In essence, Joseph expresses through the naming of his sons the situation of his life. Seventeen years in his father's home, uh, uh, kidnapped and sold into slavery by his brothers. Thirteen years of enslavement and unjust imprisonment. And God takes him out of that prison, that which was a curse in his life, and puts him second in command of the most powerful man on the world, in the world at the time. He gives him a lovely wife. He blesses their womb, her womb, and he has a son, and he names him Forgetting. What's he saying? I can finally put all that back there behind me. Then he has another son, he names him Fruitful. And he says, I can finally have a fruitful life. Joseph has accepted, if you will, his circumstances. He's ready to put all that back there, all of his past, all of his childhood, all the pain of that. He's just going to put it behind him and forget about it all. And I'm starting fresh. I can have a fruitful life right here. And just about that time, his brothers walk back into his life. His brothers don't know him because he's Egyptian garb, Egyptian language, Egyptian culture. He sure even had the dialect. The, the uh, accent. And his brothers don't recognize him. Joseph all of a sudden is thrown into a terrible quandary. The very men who hated him and despised him and envied him and, and plotted to kill him just about did. Put him in a pit and sold him into slavery. He's finally got a, a wife and a, a, an incredibly a, a lucrative position and power and prestige and respect in this new country. And he's got a wife and he's got two boys and he's ready to forget all that back there. And just about that time, here comes his past. And Joseph could have responded in bitterness. Joseph could have responded in anger. Joseph could have the snap of his finger had those men executed as spies. But what does he do? His heart becomes tender. And he forgives his brothers. And he's reconciled to his brothers. And he says, fellas, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good to save much people alive. Joseph recognized that through all that pain, 13 years of a cursed life, God allowed that to happen so Joseph could be the instrument whereby his own father and his own brethren would be spared certain death because of preparation that he made. God turned a curse into a blessing. Amen. And if God can do it for Joseph, my friend, he can do it for you and I. Go back to the beginning of Zechariah in chapter number 8. I want to say number 1, God can turn a curse into a blessing. God can turn a curse into his blessing. Zechariah is one of those men that preached after the captivity. 
the, the nation had been decimated and scattered to the four corners of the earth. And a remnant has come back to try to do some rebuilding. And Zechariah is one of those men after the Babylonian captivity, after the, the Assyrian slaughter of the northern tribes and the Babylonian captivity of the southern tribes. Zechariah is one of those men, contemporary with Haggai and others, who raised up to encourage God's people and say, listen, you, you've been under a curse. You, you've been under chastisement. You've been under the judgment of God, the, the heavy hand of God. But God has designs for you. And you were a curse, but He wants to make you a blessing. And He outlines it in chapter 8. He said again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus saith the Lord, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy. And I was jealous for her with great fury, thus saith the Lord, I'm returned unto Zion. And I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, a holy mountain. Folks, ever dawn on you the only way that you could create jealousy between you and another person is if that person had some genuine affection towards you. Love is the prerequisite for jealousy. God loved His people and thus God, a personal God, became jealous. It was God's great love for Israel that had brought about such great jealousy. And as the text says, great fury and thus such great and severe punishment. But now that same zeal, that same passion with which he was jealous and, and, and poured out his wrath is now turned as compassion and will be applied to their full restitution. He says in verse 4, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, There shall yet... This is He's speaking of the city, proper Jerusalem, the headquarters of his people, that's been decimated and burned and destroyed. He said... There shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem. You know what he's promising? He's promising longevity. Hong Kong has the highest um, uh, life expectancy of any country in the world right now. 85.83 years. If you don't make it to 85, almost 86 in Hong Kong, you died young. In Chad, Africa... If you make it to 54, you're an old man. Nigeria is almost exactly as grievous or grave an outlook. He's writing to a people, if you remember, when they crossed the Jordan. When they crossed the Jordan River to go into the promised land, it was after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. You remember this? And there were only two men over the age of 60 when the nation of Israel crossed into the promised land so many years before this. That, of course, was Joshua and Caleb. What he's saying is this. I want to reestablish you and this city and this nation. And if you go to a country and there's a lot of old people, that speaks of longevity. Amen. They had been slaughtered. They had been grievously punished by God. And, and literally, and I know this is grotesque, but literally unborn children rip, ripped from the wounds of mothers by sword, which is, by the way, no different than what Planned Parenthood does every week of the world in this country. 
But with the sword, wounds were ripped open and and unborn babies were slaughtered and the mothers were slaughtered with them. And the the sin and and, and the judgment of God was grievous. But with that same zeal and same passion, he said, I want to take that curse and I want to turn it into a blessing. And he said, one of these days, a man of God is standing and said, one of these days, this city will once more be filled with white-headed, silver-haired men and women and old men and uh, will walk these streets and give uh, uh, sage advice uh, uh, to the youngsters and that will represent the blessing of God. Verse 5 said, in the streets, this is beautiful, and the streets of this city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. How many of you lived in a day where kids would go across town on their bicycles, walk across the street, Mom, I'll be back at five for supper. I'm going to play at the corner lot, some baseball. How many remember those days? Not so anymore, is it? America's under the judgment of God. And the crime on our streets is evidence thereof. But this would be a city where the boys and girls play in the streets. He says in verse 6, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it be marvelous in thine eyes of the remnant of this people on these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes? And as he's saying, he, he said, I recognize it. This is like too good to be true. He said, man, I feel that way about it too. He said, it's marvelous and I'm the one doing it. Verse 7, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. He's talking about in the, in the captivity, they were scattered to the four corners of the earth. He's talking about bringing them back as a free people. Amen. Verse 8, I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God. He's talking about restored fellowship. A curse, my friend, can cut life short and a curse can destroy peace and safety. And, and a curse can destroy freedom. And, 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 and the curse can drive a wedge between peoples. But when God gets a hold of a life and God gets a hold of a situation and God gets a hold of a nation, He can turn a curse into a blessing. Mitsuo Fushida led the raid on Pearl Harbor. December 7th, 1941. He was a naval captain in the Japanese Air Force. And he led that deadly attack on Pearl Harbor. Incredibly so, it seems to me that God's divine hand of protection was on that man. Even in that unprovoked attack upon our nation. Mitsuo Fushida, his plane was hit 21 times by anti-aircraft fire. It should have brought that plane out of the sky. But somehow it did not. He escaped death several other times. August the 5th, 1945. He was supposed to be attending a military conference in Hiroshima when he was suddenly ordered to report to Tokyo and the next day, the atomic bomb fell on Hiroshima. 
He became part of a team that was sent back to Hiroshima to assess the damage of the atomic bomb. And every single member of that team died of radiation poisoning, except Mitsuo Fushida. After the war, General Douglas MacArthur ordered Fushida to testify during war trials in Tokyo. Fushida took a cynical view towards the trials because he believed that Americans, like the Japanese, had committed atrocities against their captains. But this former flight engineer, who himself had been a prisoner of war, told Fushida that the Americans had treated him humanely. And even more, he learned of a woman, a missionary, young lady, whose parents had been executed by the Japanese in the war. Her name was Peggy Koval. And in that trial, he heard the testimony of a Japanese imprisoned man, imprisoned by the Americans, and Peggy Koval, who ministered to him lovingly along with other Japanese prisoners. Fushida had never heard of such a thing as being kind and loving to one's enemies. And he became intrigued by this Christian God. In 1948, Mitsuo Fushida found an answer. He was at a train station in Tokyo, and an American missionary was handing out gospel tracts. And the title on the pamphlet, I was a prisoner of Japan. The track was the, the, the written testimony of Jacob DeShazer. Jacob DeShazer was one of uh, the famed Do little raiders who flew to bomb Tokyo. He was captured. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was starved. And in that prison camp, he cursed God. In that prison camp, he swore. He swore, if I ever get my hands on the man that led that, not even knowing who the man was. If I ever get my hands on the man who attacked Pearl Harbor, I will slit his throat. But somebody in that Japanese prison camp brought him an English Bible. And this embittered American pilot began to read of the love of Christ. And God broke his heart and saved his soul and changed his whole life. It was DeShazer's testimony that was in the gospel track that Mitsuo Fushida received at a train station in Tokyo. Fushida became a born-again Christian after DeShazer became a born-again Christian. They found out about each other. They met with one another. They became dear and close friends, and they traveled Japan preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for years. Can I tell you what God can do with the curse? God can turn a curse into a blessing. He could take broken people cursed by sin, cursed by bitterness, cursed by envy, cursed by hatred, uh, cursed by vile thoughts and deeds. And he, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, can so transform their hearts and souls, not just save them from hell, but save them from a destructive life and put forgiveness in their heart where once bitterness resides. And he can turn a curse into a blessing. We find verse 12. I'm skipping a lot. Verse, for this, verse 12, for the seed shall be prosperous. He talks about prosperity. For sake of time, I'll not go there. But 
He talks down in verse 19 about restored joy. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth month and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerfulness. Cheerful feasts. Isn't that something? He goes on at the end of the chapter, in chapter, verse 21, he says, The inhabitants of one city shall go to another city, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts, and I will go also. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about reestablishing his people. He's talking about longevity. He's talking about prosperity. He's talking about enemies becoming friends again, restored fellowship. He's talking about abundance that they'll have. He's talking about restored joy. They got the place they hung their harps on the willows. They wouldn't sing. And they were known for their singing. They said, we can't sing. How can we sing in a strange land? But he's going to give them their song back and give them their smile back and give them their joy back until Jerusalem would become a destination, drawing people from around the world. People would admire them. They'll have influence with folks around the world. And look at the last phrase of verse number 23. This is what the nations of the world will say. We will go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. I mean, I'm talking about people who are under curse. People whose lives were destroyed. People whose lives were broken. People who had the judgment of God. And God can so take their lives if they will indeed surrender to Him. And He can put them back together and make them a blessing so that others want to come along for the journey. Number one, God can turn a curse into a blessing. Number two, what would it take? Look at our text, verse verse 13. And it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and ye shall be a blessing to admonitions. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Look at it for just a moment. You say, okay, pastor. I believe you. God can turn a curse into a blessing. What's it going to take? Two things. Courage and strength. I'm not saying it'll be easy. If your life has been destroyed by sin, dishonesty, betrayal, someone else's sin, I'm not saying it won't be easy. I'm not saying it'll be easy. But I guess, guess what? Don't be afraid. God can take your mess and turn it into a miracle. Amen. He did it for Joseph. He did it for his people. Over and over and over again, we see him do it for God's people. And God can do the same for you. Amen. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to say, I'm going to take some courage. I'm not going to shrink in fear. Listen, the fear, Satan uses fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. There's some, there's some under a curse and, and, and God's trying to make it a blessing, but fear has gripped our heart. What are people going to say? What are people going to think? Oh, what about this? What about this? What if so-and-so doesn't accept me? What if so-and-so? Listen, listen, listen. Take heart. Take courage. Let God be involved in your situation. He can turn a curse into a blessing. Fear not. He says it again there in verse number 15. So again have I thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear ye not. Fear ye not. He says, let your hands be strong. He said it back up uh, 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 several verses earlier in verse number 9. I believe, yeah, verse number 9. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. Hey, listen, listen. This process of turning a curse into a blessing, it takes some effort on your part. It takes some strength on your part. It's not for weak-kneed Christians. 
But if you'll say by the grace of God, I'm not going to let the devil scare me. I'm not going to crawl into a hole. I'm not going to do that. I, 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 I'm broken. I'm under a curse. But I'm not the first person to fail my God. I'm not the first person to fail others. I'm going to do the hard things that need to be done. I'm going to take heart. I'm going to take courage. And I'm going to get some strength. And by the grace of God, I'm going to stay at this thing until my life is turned from a curse to a blessing. Number three and lastly. What must we do? Number one, God can turn a curse into a blessing. What will it take? Some courage and strength. Number three, what's our part? What what must we do? He outlines it specifically in verse 16. These are the things that ye shall do. Number one, speak ye Every man the truth. Look at me. God said you want this curse to be a blessing? You're going to have to become honest. Do you know what we do with the natural human response is when we become broken by sin? We go into survival mode. We go into image control. Damage control. Many, many a person who's experiencing the curse of sin will never be restored to a place where they become a blessing again because they don't want to get honest. Because the truth is ugly. But I got news for you. You can short circuit God's plan for your curse to become a blessing. David's life and David's grievous sin as an adulterer and a murderer became one of the greatest blessings to God's people as we watched in the pages of Scripture God take a man who committed two grievous sins under Old Testament law. Both of them carried the death penalty and God took a man after his own heart and his brokenness and David became honest with himself and honest with God and honest with others and God turned David's life into a blessing and how many times have we been blessed? The Lord is my Shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And on and on and on and on. Some of the most beautiful songs in the Bible were written after the curse in David's life. Why? Because David did not play games when the man of God came and said, Thou art the man. Next words out of David's mouth. I have sinned. You want to see this beautiful process? Number one, be honest. Next phrase, verse 16. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. It has to do with justice, doing the right thing. Number two, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Look, if you owe somebody something, you pay them. You, pay, you do the right thing. If you hoodooed your boss, you do the right thing. Well, nobody knows about it. I, I confessed it to God. I said, you do the right thing. Well, I just said, it'd be better if, I, if I, we, we dig all that up. It's going to make things worse. You do the right thing. If you want the phenom- God said, this blessing is so marvelous. He said, I can't hardly believe it myself. He said, you, say, you think it's marvelous? He said, I think it's marvelous too. That's like miraculous. It's like our word miraculous. God said, I can't believe I'm getting ready to. This is amazing. I'm awesome, he says. Now, if you want that in your life, 
then number one, you've got to be honest. Number two, you've got to do the right thing. You've got to do the right thing. Look what else he says in verse 17. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. Number three, stop thinking of ways to hurt people. Stop thinking of ways to hurt people. Here's the thing about it. Look, can I tell you something? I can't turn your curse into a blessing or anybody else's curse into a blessing. But I can come to God and by His grace, I can get a little courage and put my fears aside and get a little courage and a little strength and I can watch God make my curse turn into a blessing. Amen? But you know what our human nature is? We get in a little trouble. You know what we want to do? Drag everybody with us. That's exactly what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Adam, where art thou? It's not that God didn't know where Adam was. Same thing you did. Uh, you talk to your child. Uh, where are you? What are you doing? You already know. Especially for your mom, because moms have eyes in the back of their head. Moms are mind readers. But God comes and said, Adam, where aren't thou? And I said, well, I was, I, was, I was naked and I was ashamed. God said, who told you that? Did you eat the tree, the fruit of the tree? Adam said, the woman thou gave us me. If I'm in trouble, she's in trouble too. We have the same sorry human nature as Adam and Eve have, don't we? He says, it's the serpent's fault. If I'm going down, the serpent's going down too. Right? Human nature. Now, you can do that if you want to. But you'll miss the blessing. You'll miss the blessing. You want the curse to be a blessing? Be honest. Do the right thing. Stop thinking about ways to hurt other people. Number four, and love no false promises. Number four, stop with the empty promises. Here's what we do. We we bring a curse on our life because of our sin. I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. Watch your mouth. I'll never do it again. I'll never look at another woman as long as I live. Watch your mouth. How about this? I was wrong and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Pray for me. Help me. By God's grace, I'll do my best not to go down the road again. How about something honest? Anybody with me? Verse 17, for all these things that I hate, for all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. Look at the last phrase of verse number 19, I'll close. Therefore, because of all this, love the truth and peace. What must we do? Be honest, do the right thing, stop thinking ways to hurt people, stop with the empty promises, love the truth. And the peace it brings. Number five. Love the truth. And the peace that it brings. I guess probably half a dozen times. Dr. Carl Hatch came and gave his testimony here. And. Uh, uh, one. Uh, Brother Cook. Who's uh, of course our principal and staff here for years now. Got saved in one of those testimony times. Some of you sitting here got saved. In one of those testimony services. As a man was 15, 16 years old, a drunk, literally a drunkard already as a teenager. 
committed every kind of sin you could think of and called home from a bar in Detroit, Michigan in the dead of winter and said to his wife, Ruby, I'm coming home to kill you. And she knew he was capable. And she began to scream and cry, why, why, why would you do that? He said, because I've done every wicked thing a man can do except murder and I'm coming home to kill you. He stepped out of that bar in Detroit and his feet went out from under him on an icy sawball, slapped his head on the curb and he lay there nearly froze to death until somebody finally dragged him back inside. He worked for General Motors up in Detroit and moved in next door to a Baptist preacher who every day would greet him as he came home from work. Hey, Carl. I can hear his voice. Hello, Carl. I love you, buddy. Praying for you. His response, blankety, blank, blank, shut up. Next day, hello, Carl. I love you, buddy. I'm praying for you. Blankety, blank, shut up. God, the Holy Ghost, got a hold of that man. Saved his soul, became the most bold soul winner I've ever met or ever even heard of. Led people to Christ all, everywhere he went. You say, Pastor, why would you have a man like that come and tell his story? Why would you have a man like Bud Silva, who didn't speak about his tragedy for 32 years, when a tractor-trailer crossed the medium and came over and had a head-on collision with his wife in the Christian school van, fully kids headed to the Christian school, and his wife and everybody's children, every kid in that van was killed except for one little four-year-old daughter. Why would you come tell such a morbid story? Why would you have Tom, uh, 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 Brother Ken Spilger come and, and with his gnarled hands and burns and scars on his body and come talk about a plane crash and, and being burned nearly to death. And why would you have a man like Tom Suter come and tell a story about a, 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 a murder-suicide of his own wife and daughter? And why would you have tell these sordid stories? And why would you have Tom Beach come and talk about cancer taking his leg one piece at a time and his wife dying? And why would you have Chris Dallas come and tell about living in a car because of dope and alcohol and why would you have these men come I'll tell you why because we have a God in heaven who can turn a curse into a blessing that's what God wants to do maybe it's a curse of your own making maybe it's a curse of someone else's making but you too can take courage have some strength and you can do what God said And he can do it for you. Would you bow your heads, please? Our heads are bowed.